today, the content could be a little more mature for audiences. So please, ask someone before listening to this video. It's mature and may be uncomfortable for some viewers. Viewer discussion is advised. Be cautious. This is more for adults. Or for those who get permission. Or even the main. I'm funded. Uh, uh, drive me to uh, the H word. Oculus, Mama, and there's so much more, but I can't find all of the names. But some of the names have escaped me. Like, I've seen some really weird horror movies. Zombie Land, Double Tap. Six years after the first film, survivors Tallahassee, Columbus, Wichita, and Little Rock have become experts in a deadly setting and dispossessing of various zombies. Since then, they have set up their new home in the abandoned White House. They have also come across new strands of zombies, including homers, very slow with no actual drive to see, talking, smarter than your average flesh eater, and ninjas hide from the dark and wait for the right time to kill. Columbus decides to propose to Ta uh, Wichita using the host setting, while Tallahassee rebuffs Little Rock's with surviving people her own age. The next morning, Tallahassee finds a note from Wichita and Little Rock. The girls were taken off after stealing two attacks and repossessed uh, the men. In Tallahassee's heavily modified presidential moonshine, he lovingly calls the beast. A month later, while exploring a mall, Columbus is mourning his relationship with Wichita. Tallahassee, claiming Native American blood runs through his veins, is ready to head out on his own. Columbus is spotted by a crazy blonde named Madison, who has survived zombie land by hiding inside the freezer of a pink fairy store. Columbus invites her back to the White House, much to Tallahassee's annoyance, where Madison pounces on Columbus and the two do stuff together, returning and discovering Columbus has uh, done stuff with Madison. Wichita explains that Little Rock has left for a ghost land with a priestess from Berkeley with no blessings, save for the deep, fearing for Little Rock's safety, the deep head to their stand in a random minivan, including Madison. Okay, this one. If you don't know the original, then you don't know the original. This would be Child's Play. In 1989, homicide detective Mike Norris chased fugitive and serial killer Charles V. Ray through the streets of Southside Chicago, repeatedly shooting and hitting him. Charles accomplice Eddie escaped alone in a getaway vehicle. Charles breaks into a toy store where Mike fatally shoots him again. 
Dein Schalke Freund aus. Rudolf Balski von Hussfeld. Hussfeld. Schuh. A good battle. Causing the sword to be struck by lightning and blue. Mike survives the explosion and he enters the store only to find Charles' corpse on the dock. The next morning, Chucky orders Andy to ship Florence to the Chicago Aeroplane downtown. While Andy is distracted, Chucky sneaks into Eddie's house. No, yeah, how did he get up there? Okay, we skipped over something, sorry. The next day, Widow's Karen Berkeley unknowingly buys the doll naming himself Chucky from a homeless street vendor. It's a birthday present for her six-year-old son, Andy. That night, Karen sets down Maggie watches over Andy while Karen works late. After Andy's bedtime, Maggie sets Chucky in front of the television. Karen to a late night newscast about Charles Louvet. She returns the doll to the bed, but it's then hit in the face with a hammer and falls through a window to her dad. Police search in the apartment and Detective Norris considers Andy a suspect. Before returning to bed, Andy claims that Chucky killed Maggie. Karen tells the police to leave. This is where we get the dog scene. While Andy is distracted, Chucky sneaks into Eddie's house and kills him by causing a gas explosion. Andy is again considered a suspect and is admitted to a psychiatric hospital after naming Chucky as the culprit. And Karen picks up the drug guide box and drops the battery pack. Karen realizes Chucky has been running without them. And as the detonates, Karen lights the fire and sends the burning Chucky. She violently comes alive in her arms and attacks her before running out of the apartment. Karen chases after her, but after he escapes, she goes to the police station and explains what had happened. Mike doesn't believe her. Karen finds the peddler and asks for information about where he found the doll, as the peddler tries assault her. Mike rescues her and the police force the peddler to admit that he took the doll from the toy store. Karen again tries to convince Mike that the doll is alive, but he refuses to believe her, insisting that he killed Charles Leeway after bringing Karen home. Mike is attacked by Chucky and in an ensuring fight he shoots the doll, who wounded, bleeds, and causes pain. Chucky escapes to his former Lulu instructor, John, who informs him that the longer Chucky remains in the doll, the more human he will become. Chucky demands that John help him reverse the spell, but John refuses. Chucky grabs a voodoo doll from John and uses it to break his leg and arm. John reveals that in order to escape the doll, Chucky must transform his leg in Andy, the first human he would reveal to Chucky's Yeah, I don't understand that part. Chucky stabs the voodoo doll 
in the chest and escape. Karen and Mike arrive shortly after. Before dying, Don tells them that that Felice Chucky is a doll whose heart is fully human at this point and vulnerable to fatal injuries. Chucky arrives at the hospital and is receiving help and kills the doctor while they are in the process of escaping Steve's home. But Chucky ambushes and takes him. As Chucky prepares to possess him, Karen and Mike arrive to stop him. Chucky cuts Mike's leg, but then Karen throws him through the fireplace. Andy grabs the whip match into it, running Chucky and Karen and leave the room to help Mike, but it's caused Chucky escapes from the fireplace. Friday the 13th. I'm not reading this whole thing. It's Friday the 13th. Mrs. Pamela Voorhees stalks and murders the teenagers preparing camp with the lights for reopening. She is determined to ensure the camp does not reopen. After her son Jason drowned in the lake due to the neglect of staff members, the last chancellor, Alice Hardy, fends off Mrs. Voorhees long enough to grab a machete. Jason is revealed to be alive and fully grown. After killing Alice Hardy, Jason returns to Crystal Lake to guard it from all intruders. Five years later, a group of teenagers arrive at Crystal Lake to set up a new camp, but Jason murders them. The later counselor, Jason, attempts to kill, finds a cabin in the woods with a shrine built around the severed head for Mrs. Voorhees. Jenny fights back and slams a machete through Jason's shoulder. Jason is left for dead as Jenny is taken away in an ambulance. During the events of Friday the 13th, part 3, Jason removes the machete from his shoulder and finds a way to Chris Higgins' local homestead. Chris returns to her property with her confined, and Jason kills anyone who wanders into his family where he is hiding. Taking a hockey mask from a victim to hide his face, Jason leaves the barn to kill the rest of the group. Chris is seemingly towards Jason with an axe to his head, but the night events drive her into hysteria as the police take her away. So that is a lot to Friday the 13th. I am not reading the whole thing. There's way too much here. Way too much. We'll read a little bit of Halloween, and I'm not reading the whole thing either. On Halloween night, 1963, in the fictional small town of Candlefield, Illinois, six-year-old Michael Myers stabbed his teenage sister Judith to death with a kitchen knife. For the next 15 years, he is incarcerated at Smith Grove St. Sanitarium. On October 30th, 1978, Michael's psychiatrist, Dr. Samuel Yoon, and his colleague, Maria Chambers, arrive at the sanitarium, sanitarium to escort Michael to court for a hearing. Loon spoke the outcome of the hearing 
is that Michael will never be released from Smithville. However, Michael steals the car and escapes Smithville, killing a mechanic for his coveralls on the way back to Hannonville. Um, upon returning home, Michael steals a white and a special morph mask from a hardware store. On Halloween, he sees high school student Lori Stowe drop off a key at the long abandoned Myers house that her father tried to sell. Luna noticed Michael steal stalking her through the days, but her friend Annie and Linda dismissed her concerns. Luna arrives at Hannonville in search of Michael and finds Judith Pinkman missing from the local cemetery. She meets with Annie's father, Sheriff Bucket, and they investigate Michael's house, where Luna tells Bucket that Michael's a pure evil. Bucket is doubtful of the danger, but goes to look for the sheep. While Luna sleeps at the house, expecting Michael to kill her, that night, Luna's baby takes Tommy Doyle with Annie babysitting Lindsay across the street. Michael follows them, spying on Annie and killing her dog. Tommy sees Michael from the window and thinks he's the boogeyman. But Laura, Lori does not believe him. Annie later takes Lindsay over to the Doyle's house to spend some spend the night so she can pick up her boyfriend's car. When she gets into her car, Michael appears from the back seat, stabbing her and sliding, oh, and sliding, slitting her throat after. Soon after, Linda and her boyfriend, Bob Simmons, arrive at the Walco's house to find it empty. Uh, Bob goes downstairs to get something to drink where Michael takes him to the lab or kitchen. I'm not reading the whole thing. Nightmare on Elm Street. In March 1981, Tina Gray awakens from a nightmare wherein she is attacked by a disturbing man wearing a bladed thick glove and a boil ring. Her mother points out Four mysterious flashes on her nightcap. The following morning, Tina is consoled by her best friend Nancy Thompson and Nancy's boyfriend Glenn. The two stayed at Nancy's house when Tina's mother goes out of town, but the sleepover is interrupted by Tina's boyfriend Rob. When Tina falls asleep, she dreams of being chased by the disturbed-figured man. Rob is awoken by Tina's chest flashing and sees her dragged and fatally slashed by an unseen force, forcing him to flee as Nancy and Glenn awaken to find Tina bloody and dead. The next day, Rob is arrested by Nancy's father, John Thompson, despite his pleas of innocence. At school, Nancy falls asleep in class and dreams that the man chases her to the boil ring, where she is cornered. He then burns her arm on a pipe, and the burns 
thought of her awaiting Christ as she notices a burn mark on her arm. Nancy goes to Rob at the police station who tells her details of what happened to Tina along with his own recent nightmare. This makes Nancy believe that the man is responsible for Tina's death. At home, Nancy falls asleep in the bad position of the trail. Nancy's suspense depends on caffeine to stay awake and bites Glenn's watch over her as she sleeps. So these are just some, I mean, just some, of the horror movies that I have watched and reviewed and have talked about over the years. The ones I think you will 